So good morning, everyone who's in the room, and good morning to anybody who's online. Uh, we have been very honored this last uh, few days to have uh, Eduardo Zambrano, Professor Eduardo Zambrano, come up from uh, California. He teaches at uh, Cal Poly Tech. And he's a senior person in Byron Katie's uh, community of doing the work. I uh, <clears throat> got into this backwards because I was writing driving my car to California, and someone called me up and said, listen to this audiobook. And the audiobook was her last book, uh, Mind at Home with Itself. And I was so impressed with the state of mind that was exemplified in that book. I was so impressed by that, that it initiated a whole cascade of events. And later on, I found out about the work. So the work that we've been doing here, and part of what Eduardo is an expert at, is how do we look at our basic assumptions, the narrow ways that we look at the world, and how do we dissolve those so we can see the world in a larger way, we can see ourselves with a larger eye. And that softening of our view, our narrow, hard view, and that opening to the, the wider reality <clears throat> is part of liberation. So I'm going to uh, let Eduardo talk a little bit about uh, the work and the retreat, and then I'll say something probably near the end. Okay? Uh, do you want to put this on? I'll hold it. Yeah? yeah. It's up to you. Yeah. And okay. feet come near? Yeah, approximately. Thank you. Yes. Eduardo yeah. likes time, and, and I'm, I'm a little more, you know, so, 15 and a half minutes. Thank you, Hogan. <laughs> Honored to be here. And um, let me tell you a little bit about um, what we did in these last few days. And I'll just start by virtue of like a demonstration. Uh, it's best understood as a lived experience. Um, Myoyu, will you be willing to be my facilitator? So in, in this Practice, we identify our stressful thoughts and then we question them using a set of questions. And so the facilitator, which is Myoyu, all she has to do is hold space for me and ask me questions that are there. So I'll identify the thought that I am going to work with. And uh, in order for me to do that, I am going to kind of put myself in a specific situation that I might deem difficult for me or stressful. Um, I'm gonna take a trip out of Portland in a few hours. And it so happens that uh, uh, last Friday there was a plane that left Portland and it was a little bit of a bumpy ride. And so I'm gonna put myself in the situation as though I am a passenger in that plane, okay? Have you heard about the Alaska plane that blew up? This is it. This is it, okay, good. Okay, so I'm gonna take a trip. If you are a retreat participant, I invite you to this trip. And if you are a guest in the Sunday program, I invite you to very gently just hear what you hear and uh, allow it to land as it will. So it is Friday, and this is an Alaska plane that left at 4.52 p.m., okay? and I am sitting in row 27, seat C. And as 
15 minutes into the plane being in the air, a window blows up and there's a big bang. And my shirt is ripped apart and it just blows out of the window. A cell phone, a teddy bear, and a passenger shirt were sucked out of the hole in the cabin. So no one was hurt at the end, but people in that plane at that moment didn't know that. Okay? So my situation, and you know, like the concept that the persons had sitting on, on, on row 27, because the seat that blew, the window that blew out was seat uh, 20, the, the window in seat 26, we literally thought we were going to die. So I am in that plane, it's 10,000 feet high, it blasts out the window, my shirt ripped out, and my concept is I am going to die in this plane. And so now I'm going to look at that uh, and to show how this work works, okay? No. You're going to die in this plane. How do you react? What happens when you believe that thought? When I believe this thought, and it's roaring, and it's cold, and I see the hole in the, in the plane window, I panic. I curse, my heart races, I blame myself for getting on that plane, I'm nervous, I tighten up like I feel a tightness in my shoulders and in my stomach, my mouth gets pasty and I feel pain in my throat. It's like a pain that goes from the bottom kind of towards the top. I imagine the plane nose diving, even though it isn't nose diving. And I anticipate the panic I will feel when it starts to nose dive. Not a roller coaster guy. And that punches me like in the gut, like around where the kidneys are on the left. I tremble and I notice sweating all over my body. I'm angry with God. I bargain with God. It's like, why me fix this? I mean, you know me, I'm a nice guy, you know. <laughs> I deserve better. So I start bargaining with the world and I lose track of the plane is moving and it's just a little colder than it was a few moments ago and there's more of an outside view. <laughs> mm -hmm. Who or 
same situation, same shirt gone, cell phones gone. Teddy bears gone. Without that thought. I notice I'm still living. I notice the weight of my Botox on, on the chair. I notice I have a seat belt on. I notice the plane is not nose diving. There's even an oxygen mask that I just put on. That was something I forgot to report that the oxygen mask came down. I can breathe. Without that thought, I notice I can breathe. And I'm not going to guess I'm going to be there now. So who would I be without that thought? I'm going to die on this plane now. Alive. No, no, and even if I don't live the next moment, I'm alive in this moment. And that's enough in this moment. And that's very sweet. I can see if there's anyone around that might need someone to hold their hand. Okay. I'm going to die on this plane. Can you hear me, Father Young? I'm going to live on this plane. And that's truer. And how what I reported answering who would I be without that thought kinda lets me know. And I can rest in that experience of I'm going to live on that plane. Like without my story of the future. Where's the problem? It's a little colder than before. Well, I've been cold before. It didn't kill me. So I'm just going to sit in the experience of I'm going to live on this plane. I shiver a little. And I could give myself the gift of being alive in this plane for as long as I need to. Sometimes I do this, you know, for a meditation period, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Or lie down in the grass somewhere and just rest in the experience of having witnessed how mind works. How it creates its own suffering. And how it can go back where it came from. 
with a little help from some structure that's provided by the questions. When you start uh, sitting in Zen, you go to the monastery and somebody says, hey, here's some instructions how to sit. Now let's chant the Heart Sutra. And then you're like, whoa, this is really like holy riddle, you know? Like it just says all kinds of things like there's no nose and no ears and no tongue and no body. But when I do this work, I can see there's no nose and there's no ears and no tongue. There's only projected nose, the nose I project, just as I projected my own suffering. And that's what Avalokiteshvara realized. There's no suffering other than the suffering that is projected in my mind. There is no form, no feelings, no perceptions, not even consciousness other than what is projected. Well, if there is no suffering, there is no need to end it. And with nothing to attain, you just rest. Just like I rested on that plane. So that's how this work works. You connect with your inner world as this inner world is revealed to you through the world that you live in. Like the myriad projections become the gift. Samsara is nirvana. It's not a step to nirvana. It's not the preclude to nirvana. It is nirvana. And this work makes it apparent to me, and that's why I do it alongside Zazen. Thirteen minutes. Yeah, that's good. Now, if I were a real Zen teacher and you said, you know, no nose, I would grab it and say, no nose? Now what? Yeah. Let's put you in that plane now. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. You know, all these things have to be reified. So, liberation from all obstructions is part of what practice is about. How do we find freedom, even in the midst of tragedy, even in the midst of difficulty times? Even when we don't feel well, how do we find freedom? And so this is one of the ways that Eduardo is, has been offering us, is how do we look at what's going on and find freedom within it? So, um, you know, you are feeling miserable and you ask yourself, uh, I'm feeling miserable, and you say, is it true? And then you do a, a scan of the body, you say, well, my feet aren't, my knees aren't, my legs aren't, my back isn't, my chest isn't, my, well, what is feeling miserable? Well, my nose feels miserable. You know, and we discover that even in the midst of difficulties, there's lots of non-difficulties. And it's part of, part of practice. Um, I think rather than talk about the Heart Sutra right now, why don't, why don't um, you un unfold the work a little bit more for people? Okay. Okay.
Thank you, Mia. So, from the perspective of how to bring this into practice and life, uh, it really is very simple. Uh, you need pencil and paper so that you can write down any thoughts you have that might be stressful. And you know when you have them because you're stressed. At that moment of stress, you're like, what am I thinking and believing? And the stress can be any form of discomfort, like you feel low. And write down your thoughts when you feel low or you feel agitated, restless, angry, um, impatient, um, weak, anything that might be any deviation from ease, from mind at ease, is a mind that can actually say, well, what's the content of mind now? So that's the first step, writing down your thoughts. And uh, we have a specific gadget that we use to writing down our thoughts, a, a form called the Judge Universe Worksheet. And the invitation is to write down the thoughts you have about this world apparently out there that seems to be causing so much suffering in here. So that's the first step to identify the thoughts and in a piece of paper. It's very important to write them down. Um, then the next step is to ask questions. And uh, the spirit of inquiry, like you might be convinced you're going to die on that plane, but that doesn't make it so. It hasn't happened yet. So that's the first step is to come up with a spirit of, might I be wrong about what I'm so certain about? So that's basically the attitude behind, you know, Mioyu's first question, is it true? So we ask four questions of each concept that creates disease in the mind and body. Is it true? Then it's either a yes or a no. Mind will want to create a lot of stories. And is it true is be still, stay in that situation. Is it a yes or a no? If the answer is yes, you go to question two. How do you, can you absolutely know that that's true? And that's a yes or a no. And then you go to question three. What world's created when you believe that thought? How do you react? And we focus on how does it hit you in the body, what physical and emotional reactions you have when you believe the thought, whatever it is, I'm going to die in this plane, or he's, he doesn't love me anymore, and uh, I need you to approve of me, whatever it is. How do you react when you believe that thought? That's question three. You notice how do you treat yourself and others? What images of past and future come when you believe that thought? and what emotions. Those are the kind of the main themes. See, hear, feel. What do you see in the mind when you believe that thought? What do you feel in the body when you believe that thought? You know, what other thoughts arise when you believe that thought? So this is question three. And then we go to question four as well. Same situation, don't change that. Reality is what it is. But who would you be in that reality without the thought? And then you sit still. And it is a weird question. And you just are open to the answer, whatever it might be. And usually it's like you just get to see something about reality that you had been missing. Like the reality of non-suffering that is ever-present. Like I'm alive then, you know, and I was missing it. So that's inefficient at the very least. So question four is who, would I, who or what would I be? You know, what am I without the story that tells me what I think I am. 
So then we look for opposites. Could it be that the opposite of what I thought to be true is as true or truer? Like I found it to be truer, I am going to live in this plane. At least in that moment in time, maybe a, a few moments later, I'm dead. But that's not now. Now I'm alive. Good to know. Really good to know. And as far as kind of how this works, there are two pieces. The piece where you can free yourself from suffering then, but there's also training the mind in understanding itself. The mind gets to see, oh, when I believe my thoughts, I suffer, and when I don't believe them, I don't. So it's not the plane that's causing the suffering. So it has to be something else. I'm not superstitious. It's because without the thoughts, I don't suffer. So it can't be the plane. It can't be the cancer. It can't be the president. It can't be the former president. So what is it? I put it on paper. I question it. The turnarounds is a way of exploring the opposite of what I thought to be true. If you find genuine examples of the opposite, it becomes harder to continue to believe the thought that causes suffering because you have examples of the opposite. The identification with thinking weakens with time. It doesn't happen necessarily in an instant. It becomes a practice. And life shows you what to work on next, where to exercise the flex the muscle of inquiry next. Okay. Comments, questions, insights, advice? You know, we can keep talking and talking. And so, but it's, it's more interesting if John says something. I'm not sure about that. Um, I was exploring a, a, a briefer version of the work in this most recent Zazen period. Um, and I had a thought, which I'll sort of paraphrase or change slightly, but it was something along the lines of like, I want ice cream. Some very simple desire mm -hmm. that I want. But also doesn't feel inherently wrong or incorrect or like, you know, like, is it true? Yes. Is it absolutely some truth? No, but there are elements of it. It's like, yeah, who doesn't want ice cream, right? <laughs> um, and so, but what I found was if I just sort of jump immediately to question four, who would I be without that thought? It was like, oh, I'm not now suffering about the ice cream that I wanted. Um, and so I guess my question is like, you know, I just, I kind of just skipped to question four because that was this sort of like instantaneous relief. Mm -hmm. Am I missing out on juice or content or like its ability to sink deeper by not moving through more of the work and just sort of immediately going to this thing that I know is helpful? So that's a great question, John. Um, in my experience, each question kind of contains the other questions. So in that sense, you're not missing anything, okay? But I trust the system. There's a reason why there's four questions. Like if the fourth one was the only one that was helpful, then that's the only one that we would have. So you don't have to ask them in that order also. Um, but like I trust you to experiment with it. Like do it like that and then do it the other way and just notice if there is a difference. In general, uh, when we instruct beginners, we say just do the four questions before you do the turnarounds and do them in that order. And then the next thing we say is we're always beginners. You know? And notice that sometimes you do something different, you know, and that, um, 
and then you return to the basics, you know. So I find it very interesting when people have an interaction with someone else, the interaction lasts five minutes, and they spend the next week processing those five minutes. Um, sometimes it's good just to let things go. You know? So if there's something that's causing suffering that is continually coming back to us, then it's worth taking the time to investigate it. But if it's a, you know, it's a transient thought, I like ice cream, it's already gone. Don't bother. So there's there's endless thoughts. The mind is just filled with thoughts. So just take what's important to do it. Now this, <clears throat> I think, is also is very helpful, as long as we're talking in general here, about another another approach. This is not, not the work. Not the work, certified not the work. <laughs> um, but if the inner critic is coming in, or you, know, you have uh, something to say, I'm not worthy, I'm wrong, you could do the work on that, or you could just say, well, what else is true? Okay, I'm an idiot. All right, what else is true? No. Okay, I've just failed. Okay, well, what else is true? So without having to, to negate what the inner critic says, you just say, what else is true? So it's a, it's a shortcut to um, a different kind of liberation, perhaps. Can you give us a specific example? Um, <clears throat> I am sitting up here and, you know, don't really know what to say, you know. But what else is true? I'm confident. I'm calm. I trust Eduardo. I trust something will come out. So that also is true. So <clears throat> we don't have to get stuck with one side of the equation. And if we, if we only, if we can't really accept the, the negative side, then we become very arrogant. So it's, it's, Humility is part of the inner critic's job. Uh, any other comments or questions? Eduardo is going to be going back to California, so this is your last chance to, to probe his wisdom. Before I die on that plane. <laughs> Cindy has a question. That's what I would do. Um, and you can do what Hogan suggested. Uh, that's a good practice, absolutely. Because it's the spirit of inquiry that opens up the space for the answers to come. It's not necessarily what specific question you ask. So what else is true is a pointer. But from the perspective of doing the work, if it's stressful, I try to write down my concepts and I try to point my finger of blame outwards. If I can think of a person to blame, wonderful, then that's what I write. And if, I, and if it's the inner critic, what seems to be where everything is coming from, then I just write the inner critic. Ultimately, we're always working with ourselves. There is no inner critic separately from the rest of my body-mind experience. But it's okay, I can write it down, just as I can, I can write down, you know, the government isn't functioning. And at that moment, where's this government? That's just where I'm projecting kind of my dissatisfaction onto. Hmm? Part of it is turning on to 
So you actually clean yourself? Um, uh, eventually, when after you do yeah. the work, yeah. So then, eventually, you you know you do your, do your process. What what doesn't seem to work very well is to turn things around because you know that it's going to land there eventually, and then uh, expect for that to work uh, because it just becomes a list more a list of more things that I'm supposed to do right, and that feels harsh, and there's no wisdom in it. So. You write down your stressful thoughts, then you question them, and then you turn them around. Um, well, if, if, if I'm blaming myself and it says, mine says, you're so stupid, okay? I'm angry at my inner critic because it criticizes me. So then I, I just... I mean, I, if I hear and I believe it and I feel discomfort, I'm like, oh, there's something here, so I can just try to find what to work on. So I'm not recommending that you judge yourself, but if you do, because it's a happening. I mean, it's like we really think that we do this to ourselves, but this is mistaken. It's a happening. And with, it says you're incompetent, and we believe it. But it's just saying you're incompetent. That doesn't make it true. It's like it's raining, you know? Yeah, and it's not even my thought. Thinking is saying you're stupid. And that's not my thinking. That's just a happening. It's thinking, thinking. And then one of the thoughts is too fat and you attach to it and you're like, oh. I'm too fat. I feel horrible. But that doesn't make it true just because you thought it. This is what this work makes apparent. But it, this cannot be understood intellectually. You really have to be with it. You know, one with karma. How do you react when you believe the thought, I'm too fat? Allow the inner critic to have its voice because guess what? It doesn't ask for your permission. Here it comes. So, you know, reality is however it looks like, and sometimes it's that. And, and, and a very powerful practice also is just to say, you know what, just drop it. You know, this is a Bob Newhart uh, deep insight from YouTube video. You can look it up. But, yeah, you can just drop it. But that sometimes feels like too steep. I can't do it. So then this is gentle. This is paint by numbers. Just drop it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, back there, Alex. There are people on. There are people online, and you're speaking for the people online. So, Hoping, you said something interesting that the the inner critic's um, job or humility is the inner critic's job. Okay, so I'm now talking as a person of practice and not as a representative of the voice dialogue, which I admire. <clears throat> in this universe, everything's included. Everything has a place. And so if we think that the inner critic doesn't have a place, that is not true. But to realize it has a place, and the place is maybe to help keep us humble, maybe to point out errors that we need to do, but if we just hear that side and we don't hear the other side, you know, what else is true? What else is true? What else is true? What else is true? 
And there are many more truths than whatever the inner critic says. So everything has a place, everything has a, has a utility. You know, everything has to be cherished in one way or another. You know, one of the deeper experiences of practice is, is the non-dual, is that things are not separate. There is no separation fundamentally in the universe. It's one universe. And to touch that non-separation means to have an inclusive mind. So this is not what Eduardo has been teaching. <laughs> Come back for session for that. Anybody else have comments, questions? Thank you. So the inner critic, what we call the inner critic, that inner critical voice, if we don't take it personally, and, and you know, who's talking to? I, I just keep <laughs> suggesting, who is the inner critic talking to? You have a voice that says you're worthless, you're inadequate, you're incomplete, but, but is it talking to your nose? Is it talking to your knees? And are your nose and your knees who you are? I mean, who, who is the one who answers when someone calls your name? So if we actually look at the reality of it, the inner critic is just blabbering. It has no recipient except more thoughts. So, so that's a different, this, this is not voice dialogue, or this is not the work, whatever we're doing. <laughs> but but to, to, to actually look and see that thoughts come out of nowhere. You know, if we look at the direct experience of thinking, thoughts just emerge. They pop into the, they pop into awareness. And where do they go? They just disappear. So, so that's a, you know, seeing that is an important element of the of, of practice. Um, one of the reasons I got very interested in the work and um, and really, uh, Katie and Stephen are really just admirable people. One of the reasons I got interested in the work is lots and lots of people who've been practicing for many, many years, Dharma teachers, other people, have fixed beliefs they have just not looked at. Because if you're sitting calmly, you're, you're, you're not looking so deeply at the nature of mind, you're just resting, you're feeling comfortable at ease, there are fixed beliefs in there that you haven't actually uh, discovered and haven't actually melted. So I think that um, this is a really good adjunct to the, the kind of the nature of the non-inclusive mind. If you truly see the non-inclusive mind, things dissolve. But if you think you see it, it doesn't work. Yeah, Mr. B and then uh, Anne. On that topic of uh, fixed beliefs, one of the things that was really potent uh, during the workshop was the list of universal beliefs. Mm -hmm. These are sort of core things like the world would be better if it did what I say. <laughs> right? Or So I wondered if, I have a question about them, but I, I would wonder, Eduardo, if you could talk a little bit about these universal beliefs and then how to work with them. So because I did a worksheet on one of the universal beliefs and I just did the worksheet on the, on the belief, like I'm inadequate. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, do you do it on the, the, the belief itself 
I am inadequate or do you find a situation where I believe a specific situation I believe that thought I am inadequate and do that um, and how many times do you do the do it mm-hmm. just do it once on that situation or can you talk a little bit about this because this is not a, a small thing like ice cream or yeah but a, a, a deep Thing. So it's kind of off of what Hogan was talking about. These really deep health things that cause us trouble. Yeah. So thank you, Bansho. That's a really good question. Um, as you can try it both ways, and what I mean by that is, you can try saying I'm inadequate, and then just do the answer from the general perspective and see what perspective it 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 lands. And you can identify a specific situation where it where you found it, where you caught it, and you were caught in it, and then try. So try the difference, and and, 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 you, and let me know the next time we meet which one works. Uh, and what I notice is that uh, my personal experience is that it's more potent when it's the, I find the specific situation, okay? Because, some, you know, like when we don't find the specific situation, it's like we we carry the 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 false narrative of the continuity of self that has been inadequate for so many years now, obviously, right? You know, like, it's not that I'm inadequate right now, but I was then and then and then. So mine can escape through, it's all over the place. You know, it's like a channel surfing, like now I'm doing this technique, no, no, but now let me just do this other technique or no, no, let me just do this. Other, you know, so just like, just take the one seat and the one seat is find one posi- one situation and then press the pause button. It's also good training for the mind because, again, it's not as important to find in my experience. And this, this took me years to realize. But you can do the work so that you're free from I'm inadequate. You can also do the work to train the mind in understanding itself. That's far more powerful. Because once the mind is adept at understanding itself, it starts doing the work in the background without needing you to be kind of feeding it content because it kind of picks up the content before it even has a chance to mess with your life. Yeah. So then when you train in a specific situation, you enter the timeless. And, 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 and then things get very, very dialed in and surgical as you experience here. So that's my preference. And it's also interesting to do it from the other perspective. So I would say try both ways. Mm-hmm. Any other questions? Yes. Um, I had rather you talk about it in acrylic um, and refer to it as um, comforting uh, an infant or a child. Mm. It's the voice of God. It's the beloved. It's the destitute. Why would I push away the one that is crying for attention and help? The inner critic, yeah. I mean, you know, and let me just say more. We're projecting our inadequacy onto that. And but that's just us. So this is these are just methods for, for, for opening to love. And, and, and love does not reject anything, not even its most harshest criticisms, nor even the source of them, whatever that might be, be it good or bad, whatever that might be. So just trust 
and that trust, there's fear, and fear, there's that's just another word for vulnerability, and so then you're just like, you know, you're just like a, a butterfly coming out of this cocoon, you know, just give it time, you know. Yes. She's coming. The four questions. So all these questions are based on re-getting Inquiring into is it true in a moment yeah. in time? Yeah. Uh -huh. So the first question is it true? Mm -hmm. You're right there at that moment, mm -hmm. and that's the first answer you you have. Yes or no? Yes. Can you absolutely know that it's true? Okay, now I have a little perspective of, from that first answer to the second answer, to the second question. Now I have a little, I'm now reflecting a little bit, and I'm not fully at the moment of my first, even at, at the instant of that um, realization that, Mm -hmm. Well, you're already a different person after having asked the question, is it true? Whatever your answer was, you're a different person. And, 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 that, and that's, that's the opening. You're kind of like not dancing with the impermanence of it without resisting it. Yeah, and, I, and again, it, it, it's a visceral time to reflect, right? Like, you know, it, it, this is not like here I am kind of like ref deliberating on it, but it's an experiential unclinching. Yeah, yeah. One last, one last opportunity. Or once, or twice. Thank you all very much. Thank you.